This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We can ask people to be kinder and more accepting. That works to some extent, but if we are dependent on others to give us that feeling of belonging, we can still get emotionally hurt. It seems like a smarter idea to find a way to like yourself for who you are. Valeria interviews Britton Kolber. He is the author of Not Fishy Enough, a ridiculous parable about finding worth through self-acceptance. Britton Kolber is also a family therapist specializing in geeks as a special population. His first book, Not Fishy Enough, is for children and the adults who care for them. He has taught applied improvisation at Saga School, General Assembly, and Aspiring Youth Writer. He has done many odd things, ranging from research scientist associate at Applied Research Laboratories, to board member of Washington Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, to computer sales, to performing regularly with Comedy Sports Austin, to working in the film industry in Los Angeles. In what little free time he has left after grand adventures with his family, he runs, skis, writes sketch comedy, has conversations with his cats, and tries not to set himself on fire while cooking again. Meet Britain at notfishyenough.com. Here's the interview with Britton Kolber. In your own words, who is Britton Kober? That is a mysterious question. Um, I value joy, mischief, and understanding, and it's all kind of wrapped up in authenticity. So I'm a therapist and an author, uh, and in my role as a therapist, I often describe myself as an expedition leader. You know, someone is coming to me to ask for help, and we go on this expedition into their emotions into their hearts and sometimes it's really difficult what we find in there yeah. and uh, sometimes we have a lot of fun mm, yes right uh, both sides yeah and that's part of the exploration isn't it of self um what inspired you to become a therapist britain oh i don't know i think i've been a therapist all my life uh some of my memories uh around five years old um are around wondering what was going on around me. And uh, my mom even came to me and said, you know, when you were five, you said, I want to understand why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. And that's just been going on my whole life in one mm-hmm. way or another. Does it have to do with behavior or just everything? Behavior, you know, when people are, are yelling at each other and they care about each other, uh, when they're angry, um, when they try to understand, they just don't. Uh, when people do things that don't make sense even to themselves, it's all, mm-hmm. it's all it's, it's very difficult. 
Do you have any spiritual understandings of yourself or life itself? Spiritual understandings? Um, you know, I used to be in the Episcopal Church, and a lot of the sermons were very interesting. And subsequently, that uh, pastor retired to become a Jungian psychoanalyst. So that gives you some idea of where the where the spirituality was going. And I've always felt a strong call to there's something else. And then I also have a strong scientific training to question and be skeptical. So my spiritual understanding is really a duality. It's there seems to be something. And I want to make sure that what I'm experiencing, I also run through confirmation bias. Is this verifiable? Can you even verify it? So there's something scientific and something intensely uh, spiritual and open to experience. Does that make sense? Mm, yes, it does. You see, I have been looking for a philosophy, spiritual philosophy that could bring uh, science questioning, would be open to that. And I found one. So it's basically um, Advaita Vedanta, I'm a student of Vedanta, is um the science of spirituality. So it's very much about evidence, first-person experience. You can't, it's not, it's never about faith, trust, belief systems, none of that. It's knowledge and then experience. So uh, it has been an interesting, very fascinating, um, let's say, I would say experience because I have had experience, but in, in, in the end, it's not really an experience. When we go deeper into what this is, which we call life, the depth of it cannot be experienced because everything that is, that experience is made of, it's something that cannot be seen, cannot be touched. So it's the invisible world. It's a substance that's invisible. So that's kind of interesting to kind of to come to that understanding that everything is made out of something that's invisible. <laughs> so how can this be? So talk to me for a moment about the book that you have written, the first book that you have written, uh, Not Fishy Enough, a ridiculous parable about finding worth through self-acceptance. What was the inspiration, but also the um, the purpose of writing this book? Oh, great. Okay, so the inspiration was uh, really experiences with my clients. So experiences with clients um, are often about growing, growing, growing. And then often they would reach a point of uncomfort, of, of discomfort. Like, why is this so uncomfortable? And I came across this letter from uh, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Uh, that was part of a, an arranged play where people would read out different letters from people. And he talked about the process of becoming, like becoming a creative person, becoming a spiritual person. And then I realized there's something about this becoming thing that's really important and creating a different framework, a different story. So what if it's like these little ex crab exoskeletons I see on the beach, you know, in, in the side pools in the Pacific Northwest where I live? Um, what if someone just gets too big inside emotionally spiritually to be who they have been and then you have to break with who you were and it feels painful it feels vulnerable but when you can let that crack and go through who you were you can be something better you can be something even more 
It's going to be vulnerable at first, but can be something even more. Does that make sense? Yes, right. So what's the purpose of the human experience from your perspective, Brett? Wow. I, I can't answer this question without going to 42 uh, because Douglas Adams is one of the my, the first sort of disruptive authors uh, philosophically for me. So I think it's about people finding out for themselves. Um, I know we're drawn to connect to people. I know we're drawn to think that there's more. Uh, and it seems like there is more. Um, and so, you know, what is it? What is people's purpose? I think you have to pay attention. You know, they, it, it was, every one of us seems to have a slightly different calling and i think it's important to pay attention to that you start to trust yourself when you feel safe enough in your own head in your own thoughts in your own heart then you can people start to be open to i think i want to make poetry or i think i want to do more things with my hands but if they're all intellectual and not the intellect is great but if they're just intellectual they get lost and they start trust they stop trusting themselves. And so when you start to trust yourself a little bit, answers start coming. I don't know where the answers are coming from, but they start coming. What is your personal idea of purpose? What is your purpose at this time? My purpose is joy. I mean, is is living in joy living in trying to understand things, but also having this keen sense of mischief. You know, there's a little bit of trickster in me, not like evil trickster or, but like, well, what if I challenge this? What if I add some play into this idea? You know, some, some people's uh, emotional experiences are very, very sacred to them. And at some point, it's also helpful to feel safe enough to laugh at yourself a little bit. You know, maybe this is okay. Yeah, you know, and that self-acceptance is very important. Ah, yes, that's uh, the topic of of our conversation today. I mean, it all connects there. <laughs> yeah, that that's it. Yeah, I have heard that a lot, and and it's for some reason it resonates energetically. Like my body, mind responds when somebody says, "Ah, oh, the purpose of life is just to enjoy it. <laughs> it's just to be happy. You know, it's just to be here. That's it. We already fulfillment itself." So. That really resonates true. So the purpose of life might be just this, just being alive or the feeling that we are alive, that we are aware of the experiences we are having. Uh, but then, of course, we always want to want more and we want to know more and all that. And then comes all the, the complex stuff, um, trying to be happy. And I think that's when we find ourselves in um, a lot of challenging situations by trying too hard. So talk to me about the idea of um, of self-acceptance and how can we do that in a way that we are not trying too hard? Mm -hmm. Oh, not trying too hard. Well, self-acceptance seems to be about allowing. It's especially about allowing imperfection. Imperfection is something that a lot of us are really scared of and we will try hard to keep from happening. I mean, that's one of the things Edwin's story is about is he's wondering why is he like this? And so he's, you know, it, it, he is a crab. He doesn't know he's a crab. And so he keeps trying really hard to be something that he can't possibly be. And so when self-acceptance becomes an option, 
Like, what if I'm okay like this? What if I accept this? Then he's a, he starts to become more open to experiences. And that's kind of like what happens when um, you can talk, you know, interviews of models, uh, female models that are uh, generally, you know, often regarded as like absolutely stunning. And they will pick themselves and each other's, well, oh, I don't like my feet. Or I don't, you know, I think my, my hands look wrong, look wrong, so I hide them. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's, it's, and it's, I've seen this with clients a lot. Like, if they don't have a place in their hearts that they are okay, just the way they are, um, then you can say all kinds of kind things and it doesn't go in. They might thank you politely, but they don't believe it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so that, um, now we are talking about the um, stories, uh, the mm-hmm. stories we tell ourselves and belief right. systems. And that's so interesting. I remember um, going through this as well, live, almost living for body parts. Like, oh, my hair is not good enough. And then it would the focus was just so much on the hair. Like, oh, it doesn't look good today, so I don't feel good. So if the hair was not good, I didn't feel good. And then uh, I became a fitness trainer and then a competi- uh, competitor. And then it was about now parts again. Oh, my stomach is not flat enough or th- whatever it was. So it's uh, fascinating how attention, it kind of drives everything. Um, it's where we put our attention on that really makes a big difference within the human experience when it comes to happiness from my perspective. So... If attention is everything, do you also teach or guide your clients to um, into the practice of meditation and mindfulness to be present in, in the moment? Yes, absolutely. And some are open to it, some are not. Um, but even in session, I spend time helping them n- notice where their attention goes and be more purposeful in it, less automatic pilot. Um, in fact, I borrow a lot uh, from uh, people like Tony Robbins, who uses focus as also including your thoughts, but also your physiology and how you make meaning. And I find that if I use all three of those with clients, they really respond to it. You know, someone says, you know, I'm, I'm really upset. OK, where is that in your body? And if, you know, as if you could point to it. And when they start thinking, oh, I have this ugh, I have this ache in my chest or I have this pounding over here, or my neck is tense, then they're in their body and they're starting to feel and experience differently. And that's a great doorway for meditation where you're, there's a kind of focus and it's not just in the head, but it's just this body kind of experience. And when you can start to do that and then feel safe doing it, this intuition starts to become available. You start to be able to feel safe and happy in your own skin. I want to go deeper into what this life is as a whole, not just as parts. Maybe that's why um, I went spiritual, because I didn't want to focus on parts. But they cannot be ignored. And um, I do try to ignore thoughts that they are not in alignment with what I want my life to be, per se, this personal life, body, mind, complex. But in the end, it's really being present to what is present that has um, made a huge difference. Whatever is present here, like talking to you now, this is the only thing that exists. This is almost like my life now, <laughs> talking to you. There's nothing else. And that feels really, um, there's something about it. It's, uh, it's almost like 
it's mysterious, but at the same time, there's um, there's a sense of belonging, isn't that interesting? Within my own self, within this my own inner world, it kind of oh, this feels great. <laughs> so right. <I'm> at home, <laughs> sure. here now. Right. Um, yeah, and you're about to make a lot that is yeah. we're trying just barely starting to understand about how the edges of physics are with. Uh, the quantum entanglement or the quantum nature of particles. There's so much to understand that I still don't. But the possibility of particles to be in very different places and also be somehow connected. Uh, there's, I think we're in sort of a proto-science. Like we're not, we don't, there maybe there's a science to it. We just don't know exactly what it is yet of like how you and I could actually feel connected. And maybe there's actually something measurable between us in this moment. Mm. Do it. Yes, right. Well, according to Vedanta, <laughs> there I go sure. with that. There we go. Great. Yeah, it's uh, consciousness. Um, so consciousness, which is the essence, the substance of everything, it's actually, it's everything's happening in consciousness. That's why it feels connected. Everything feels so connected. Body, mind, you know, this relationship of body, mind. I know scientists try to find, you know, it's consciousness happening in the body, like what came first, matter or mind? And then, um, according to Vedanta, it's obvious, uh, consciousness is, um, it's everything. It's, in a sense, everything is in consciousness. So that's why we feel connected with others and nature. I mean, there's, it's undeniable. And even when we dream, I mean, everything is just so, it's so obvious now to me, of course, but that's because I have been training um, and doing a lot of practice to to kind of see, be, be able to experience that. And now I'm able to get glimpses and it's becoming a lot more, almost like a... Uh, uh, there's just one reality anyway, which is consciousness, but it becomes, from the personal point of view, it almost becomes... It becomes a dreamlike experience. That's what it is. It, it's almost like nothing can really stick because it's almost like a waking up in the dream. Um, we, the the dream, dreams we have at night, all of a sudden you wake up and you know that you're dreaming. And that's when the dream becomes interesting because, oh, wow, all this is, I'm dreaming all this. <laughs> so it becomes fun. I don't know if you have have had uh, lucid dreams. I have had I them. I have, sure. They're yeah. interesting, yeah. So this is basically, uh, this is what it is now, this experience. It's just, um, it's a dream within a dream and a dream of consciousness. So consciousness fell asleep and then we are, we're having the experience, according to Vedanta. And I say that because it is a philosophy that is well established. Uh, they have um, science and non-duality. It's a, it's a huge like conference. But you see, not that big enough because <laughs> a lot oh, of sure. people don't know about it yet right. is the science of spirituality as sure. well. They bring it right. together. So with all that being said, it's what counts is, again, it goes back to the relative reality and how much of that perfume of the absolute reality we can bring to this, how much we can understand uh, from the absolute, we can understand with the relative, you know, thinking, with our thinking brains uh, in the minds. Um, what's the goal, really? And then, you know, it keeps coming back. For me, it has been inner peace more than happiness, really. It's not about being joyful all the time and smiling and all that. But there's a sense of... Um, of quietude. It's almost like everything 
um, many throughout the day. It's almost like there's no. T- I feel that the timeless kind of um, uh, almost this sense. It's 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 real for me that there's no time and or, or space. That's just it's freedom itself, and it feels really great. <laughs> and and that brings me inner peace. That's what it is. So it doesn't matter what happens. Um, I just kind of go back into that or bring my myself into that realm, and then it feels peaceful again. And it's it's expansive, so I'm able to take more of the challenges as well. It sounds like a very uh, balanced and peaceful way to be. I, I I also have compassion for the many different experiences of uh, of the world. You know, I think what you're describing makes sense to me. And there are people that will vehemently deny that that's possible or even real. And I try to connect with everybody. You know, I try to connect with the skeptics of like, you know, how can this be? Because that it's not measurable, that's not real. Or how can this be because this is your subjective experience, but I have a different subjective experience. You know, and I I try to connect with all those worlds. Maybe there is, you know, like uh, um, Carl Jung was very spiritual, so a psychoanalyst, right? And so I have this perpetual sort maybe that there is a collective unconscious and there are Akashic records and we all connect to something. And then there's how do I bring the people to their own realization um, and join with their skepticism and listen to their, their fervent belief that this can't be true hmm. and see if there's a way where we can come to an understanding together. Yes. Yeah. Um, really, um, what are you saying? It kind of, uh, it's coming from a teacher, a guide. Yes. And that I love that openness, right? Because the more open you are, the more people you, you help. Um, that's, that's a fact. I guess from my experiences um, uh, with my husband, for example, who a lot of times he says, you know, you make me feel unintelligent just when you talk about these things. I have no idea what these are, you know, Vedanta and all this. But then I also see that when I talk about it, but then when I don't talk and I'm, I'm silence, you know, and I just go on doing what I do, it, I see that he becomes, he has become a lot more, let's say, quiet within too, his own mind. So it's not really only about trying to explain certain things, because I don't think, you know, some people are not able to understand because they've heard so much into their, their own mental world that they can't really go outside of that. They don't even know that exists. Um, Right. No, of course not. We are at at our own lives. I have no idea, Britain, why some people get to to explore these things, you know, at depth and some don't. I see people in my family that cannot even have, I can never have this conversation with them. So I just sit quiet with them and I play whatever it is. And then all of a sudden they relax and they, you know, and then we become very much connected at a deeper level, but without saying anything. So I don't have to say it. It's almost like it's a silly thing to ask somebody, you know, somebody who is happy to ask them, are you happy? I think no one would ask that question if if you are genuinely happy. So they, they will be happy with you. They start laughing all of a sudden, too, or, or loosen up. And so I guess that would be, for me, it seems to me like that's the real teaching when uh, the, the real way, the most genuine way to, um, to pass these things on. Um, it's almost like a transmission, it, it feels to me, because I have received... Really- 
is, is being with them. What is that thing that you're tra- you're saying about the real transmission? Of being. It's not really, there's no thinking, there's no trying. You're, oh, right. you're basically, yeah, you're basically resting into the, the bed of inner peace yourself. So there's no, and yeah, and it's so um, natural to you. And for me, it, it's not all the time, of course. A lot of times I get myself caught up with the mind content and then I'm off that. And then um, it, it comes back again. So I see how that affects people around me. I have seen uh, that clearly with my own husband. He's actually now interested in these things, which is, to me seems like, oh, almost impossible. It seemed before. So I guess it's, uh, of course, it's not to take away from teachings, uh, guidance, the way you do in so many therapists. It's, it's truly beautiful. I have uh, enormous respect that's why I have these conversations anyway. I love them <laughs> to, to talk about these things. It's knowledge, of course. But there's something about silence and just being that's extremely powerful, transmitting this truth. It's quite powerful to just be with someone that can be quite healing. Um, and it's not just the idea of healing. It's like their physiology of uh, connection um, is so interesting, so polyvagal theory um, is about uh, the physiology that happens in your vagus nerve when you feel safe enough to and when you feel safe enough like I'm okay and then maybe you're okay something uh, loosens and there's this connection possible maybe it's an energy maybe it's it's uh, it's something biological and it feels like energy uh, I have my biases I don't know exactly what's happening but whatever it is I know that it's measurable the vagus nerve uh, responds differently mm, yes that that makes a lot of sense yeah the, yeah the ventral uh, ventral vagal scene yeah, that would, because um, you see, because that, um, as I mentioned before, everything's happening under in consciousness. So yeah, when somebody is connected, or I mean, nobody, there's no one that's not connected. It's impossible because if everything's happening under consciousness, everything is consciousness. But some people are more aware mm. of. It's almost like consciousness being aware of itself. It, right. It, that's when something happens. Right? <laughs> I can mm-hmm. just leave it at that. Something happens. Um, right. And right. then passes on. You said something in the book that caught my attention. I was also laughing at, about that. I mean, smiling. You said, uh, everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. Talk to me about that. Well, that one is a quote that's been around the internet for a while. People are trying to figure out who said it first, but it's inspiring because it's about um, accepting, you know, maybe you're like this. You know, if you have, uh, well, a lot of it's actually personal. For example, I, the way my physiology is, um, I tend to sink in water. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't just my experience. Like even trying to take a scuba diving lesson, Mm -hmm. I had to take all the weights off because I would sink. (laughs) And so I was thinking, well, what's, what's wrong with me? And then there's like, no, you're, you're, you're just like this. And so if I believe that I'm supposed to be a certain way and I don't accept the way that I am, I might really be miserable, you know, and that's Edwin's story. That's my story. 
that's a lot of the stories people I talk to, um, is there's this kind of cultural level supposed to, like you're supposed to look like this. You're supposed to have this kind of figure uh, as a woman. You're supposed, you know, and then, for example, or you're you're supposed to look, you know, you have a square jaw and broad shoulders as a man. You know, you're not really how you're supposed to be. Um, and, you know, all these things sort of intersect with this this one little thing about believing, um, you know, a, a fish believing it's supposed to be a certain way. Um, and it's universal. But there's something about the humans that um, we don't see a flower trying to be something else <laughs> or any all the other animals, right? They, they don't try. Uh, but we, we tend to do that. So... Self-acceptance kind of uh, inspires me to think about self-love because, yeah, you go straight to self-love. And then to me, like self-acceptance under self-love, but who knows what comes first. Um, When it comes to self-love, self-acceptance, self-liking oneself, are there levels or is there actually a clear difference between these states of, um, of understanding? I'm, I'm going to confess that my mind wandered for a second because there's something really important I'd love to get back to if we can about about the, the self acceptance because it seems very there's a there's a tribal and selection pressure things. Um, one of my dear friends was telling me about visiting a chimpanzee uh, uh, refuge sanctuary, and there was one chimpanzee that had both male and female parts of their anatomy and was rejected by the whole group. This one was off to the side, didn't get the the same amount of grooming, didn't get the same access to food. And there was a tremendous selection pressure. Oh, you're not right. You go over there. And so there's something I think that is a mammal level of like you were part of the group or you're not and those selection pressures are vital and dangerous you know they they can put you in the group or they can starve you and put you out of the group and i think it's important to realize we have this pressure and that even that ostracism is normal we just it would be great if we can be more kind about it more intentional about it does that make sense yes it does right um you see that it's um, it's kind of sad to hear that, but it's um, it's nature, right? It's natural in right. a way. Um, it, that's perhaps the reason. Well, I see how storytelling can do these things. It has it has the power to unite people, unite us. It has the power to separate us as well. What's the best way to navigate this um, this world of storytelling? Which stories to believe in when it comes to the collective um, of tribes? How do you see that, um, Brayton? Which stories do you believe in? I think it really yeah. starts with being aware of our tendency to want to create meaning on things and to actually try out several different stories. You know, like you can look at the const- at the stars and make a different story. You know, you can see it, oh, this is a pot or it's a bear. It's the same stuff. You don't even have to select the facts. You can just look at it and say, what else can I make out of this story? You know, what other stories can I tell myself? You know, this can be, uh, yeah, I encourage people to be curious, uh, and, um, try telling themselves a different story. 
to see if that fits. You know, you could be, you know, someone's success could be, oh, well, if I, if I got good news, that means something bad's going to happen. And waiting for the other shoe to drop is an expression I hear a lot. What if it's a different story? Um, people like Terry Pratchett uh, tell wonderful stories where he makes fun of people's tendency to make a story in the story. You know, there's a there's a kind of playfulness about you know something like you know there's a one in a million chance it might just work you know and and if they say it right then it's going to happen you know so there's you kind of play with conventions of the stories and in that way i think it teaches us to um be a little more creative i mean the the folklore uh is fascinating if you look far enough things like the three little pigs as i understand the its function in folklore is to teach critical thinking okay this you know this little pig builds a house like this okay then what happens this little pig builds a house like this then what happens and so on and in telling different you know exploring little different stories you see you start to introduce people to the idea of there's another way to do this keep trying does that make sense? Yes, yes. Beautiful. Oh, what's not to love about that? Um, curiosity, being open to life, right? Ah, that's almost like uh, it's childlike. Um, having you have kids, so you know that yeah better than I do. <laughs> so yes, that's really uh, yeah. What can I say about just being open and seeing reality, seeing whatever is happening as it is? But that's you know, it's easier said than done because then. Um, trauma gets in the way, right? I I was traumatized in childhood, and I know how much of that um, kind of um, informed my my experiences until my inner and out experiences until I was thirty seven. So that was a like, long time living under the delusion of seeing everything as uh, as a child, a traumatized child. That's such a powerful, powerful message if we can be open. Easy said than done because there's a process to it, and that's why you therapists exist. <laughs> uh, we need to reprocess a lot of that too in order to re- almost rewrite. It's almost like we need to rewrite the story before we can live without them, isn't it, um, Britton? Uh, Michael White calls us a re-storying, we, narrative therapy. You take something that happens and try to create another story with it, you know? And it sounds like that's something that might've been what you went through. Oh, is you yes. created a different story right. for your life as you experienced trauma. Yes. You know, how you experienced being, uh, you know, about concerned with these parts, you know, as, a, yes. as a, being a beautiful person. Oh, it's about my hair and about this part and that part, yeah. but you've made a different meaning out of it. Yes, right. Oh, yeah, boy, two lots of stories went on. Right. <laughs> the <Right>. rewriting. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and maybe that's why we talked off off record briefly. Maybe that's why I came to a point where ah, why well, I need to drop the stories now. <laughs> it's time. Well, I was ready for it, and I just dropped them. But I don't know how much you know. I don't know how far we can go when it comes to the body mind complex. I don't know how far we can go dropping. 
belief systems and all stories. There's always something happening here in the background. They're always running, actually. But one thing I know is that I, I, now I'm, I'm aware of them. And I know they're just stories. And I just let them play themselves out. <laughs> just it's okay. And I'm not, I'm not even listening to some of them. Some, some of them I do. They're still fun. What a fascinating experience this is, right, Britain? I have to say, to be a human, <laughs> the exploration of, of, of this. It's just incredible. With that in mind, I do have another, well, you being a therapist, what is the goal of healing? Is there a point where, I mean, from my experience, that the stories are still here and I, I, I hear them, but it's just very, it's not as loud and I'm able to kind of let them come and go. But from your perspective as a therapist, what's the goal? Can we at some point say that we are healed from all these stories and even the rewritings? Mm. I'm, I tend to be less worried about what I think and more concerned with the person I'm talking to. What's their idea of healing? Yeah, I really find that when people are focused on recovering their own sense of autonomy, their own sense of safety, when it's about their experience instead of what I think it should be, um, it works better. So, you know, what I'm, I, I kind of hope to urge people toward is generally something where they feel a sense of safety uh, and autonomy. Uh, wholeness is a really good goal. You know, feeling like they are okay just the way they are and that they came from, uh, you know, even in the, the silliness of Eric Idle's always look on the bright side of life, there's a philosophy deeply in, etched in, into it. You know, you come for, if you come from nothing and you return to nothing, what have you lost? Nothing. Even in that silly song, there's a sense of philosophy of wholeness is the point. Everything that's the suffering and the difficulty doesn't matter that much compared to the gift of being here and the gratitude for the chance to be here. And it's not to sugarcoat or spiritually bypass the difficulties we'll go through. It's to meet it head on and say, yes, it did happen to you. And it's not over yet. You know, can you be grateful? What if you can be grateful for what you have and then go to a sense of wholeness and safety? That's mm. powerful for people. Yes, um, it sounds very much. Yeah, that's, mm. that's a beautiful experience to have um, of freedom. I remember coming from nothing, going to nothing. I remember, uh, because you said this, I remember asking, I think my husband, we were walking and then we were talking about non-duality and all that. And I said to him, um, what do you think happens, you know, when when we lose the body? You know, finally, when this goes, he said, we keep dreaming. <laughs> you know, we mm. talk a lot about dreams. Nice. So we just yeah. keep dreaming. We never stop dreaming. <laughs> right. If this is a dream, just goes on, on and on and on. Hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh, it, it kind of something happened in that moment that like, ah, yeah, it resonated true. I don't know to who and where in the body, but something said yes to it. So we're almost at the end. I do have the ending questions, but I wanted to go back to the uh, what caught my attention in your book and was a spiritual part of it. <laughs> I have here. Oh, yeah. Something that you said that caught my attention, too. You said uh, my book is about the spiritual aspect of trusting and adventuring. So that, see, that venturing, right, the exploration, just being curious. Um, in that, I remember when 
when we, we just talked about healing, the goal of healing, you said that's very personal. And I remember for me was it, the first step was to laugh more. If I could do that, then that would be my sign <laughs> that I was, you know, being healed from the traumas. And that, and then, then of course, and then I became more ambitious after that. <laughs> now let's see after laughing more what will happen. So the sense of uh, adventure, right? I guess that's where I am now, adventuring with the body-mind, learning new things, being open to whatever it is. Uh, of course, in a safe way, as you keep saying too. Uh, and your book is for adults and children, which is, to me, just, it, it was right away that message came to me when you talked about uh, self-acceptance. Oh, that's for everyone. It has to be, especially children. So they learned that from the very beginning. And then... Um, under belief and religion, I have something here that I, I selected. You write, most of us believe in some kind of story that gives our lives a beginning, middle, and end, and a purpose. We can get stuck in the stories we tell ourselves and think that they are the truth. When we think we know the truth, we stop looking and learning about the world around us. We get stuck being me or sad or depressed. That caught my attention. When we know the truth, then we tend to not look for and learn anything else. Talk to me for a moment about that. <laughs> that yeah, I have a different perspective in a way, but that caught my attention. Sure. I had to sure. stop there. Yeah. Well, uh you know, when we talk about the sense of spiritual uh, connection to things, I don't know, a lot of writers do, uh, that like most of the last third of the book, the sort of discussion thing, came in one Saturday afternoon. I just started typing. I mean, it was years of experience and thoughts and things that were in my head, but it just came out. So it, there's a kind of immediacy to that. Um, and fixed, the, your, your question, if I remember correctly, is this sort of, fixed beliefs system that we get into stop we stop asking um and i think that's the essence of uh, a lot of the divisiveness in cultures right now is we come to a kind of well this is what i believe to be true therefore it's it is true and it's the only truth and your truth is wrong the other any other truth is wrong and that's when we get that's when there's a kind of rigidity that sets in you know this this story must be true uh, because if it weren't true, then, then I, I would have made a mistake or something's wrong with me. And so this is all about that edge of believing what you believe and also being open to other people's experiences. And there's a opportunity for, for fantastic connection when we are open to another story. Do you see the difference between religion and spirituality, Britain? Well, it seems like the the religion is about codifying things into behavior. You know, it's about creating, it is about creating community. It's about um, creating, you know, a, there are ways of creating good people. Um, and there's a really useful social function to them. The spiritual seems to be they, they an important part of it. But I've also practiced, you know, I've been part of a religion where people didn't seem to be present at all. And there was, you, you would stand, sing the thing, have heartily sit down, stands. And I just, and then I would be around a campfire with people having like a, a really 
important conversation or singing the song. It's like, well, why does this feel so much more spiritual when I'm not in church? And so my understanding of these two things is that they can really overlap and they can be very, very different. They're not, to me, they're not the same. They just can connect. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it feels like the core of religion, of all religion, it's really that fundamental message that we are connected. That it really always goes back to that for all religion. So, but that's for some reason it um, it gets lost the translation in translation, and then we, um, it's not able to be really that message is not able to it's not communicated clearly, and then people get the wrong ideas of separation and creates more separation than connection. Unfortunately, uh, I think it was in a book by Joseph Campbell where he was talking about a spiritual and religious conference where. Uh, the monks who were involved in the practice as a spirit uh, got along with each other and had interesting conversations. But the priests that were involved with the actual practice of relaying the spirit to the people squabbled endlessly. You know, there's there's the the spiritual practitioner. The spiritual practitioners have are more interested in common ground, I think, uh, at their core. And the ones who were translating it to like, no, this is, you know, Jesus is, is, is like this, or he's divine, no, he's a person, or, you know, it, it all this stuff is uh, stuff in the mind mm. where we can get lost, mm. find differences. Does that? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's it. And, and even the idea that um, Jesus is, um, was someone who's very different from you, it, the way it is worshipped, um, the image of the idea of Jesus, which is very different, for me, is very different than Christ's consciousness, mm-hmm. which is all about love, uh, unconditional love and connection. That's what really the ground for everything. But then the idea of the personified idea of of God through Jesus, Buddha, and, and so many others, that's very dangerous too. Because then so many of us think that we are not worthy, that we can't really, we cannot even be close to that. So we, most, of, most of us just give up. Um, it's not even worth uh, trying. So I have uh, the ending questions, but I would like to mention a question that caught my attention too under discussion questions, uh, belief and religion. This one question that I asked you say, uh, does everything happen for happen for a reason? What if it didn't? Would that be sad or, or make life pointless? And that question caught my attention immediately. Would you like to make a comment? <laughs> well, it's a thing that I see uh, and and hear a lot around me. You know, this is kind of rote way of saying, well, everything happens for a reason. And then, well, if it, what if it didn't? What if there is, maybe there is a, a greater sense of consciousness or other things around us, but um, what if there's a certain randomness and then it's your opportunity to do something with it? Because if if uh, someone's baby dies of some horrible disease and everything happens for a reason, well, then you really, really want to find out what that reason is. And there's a, there's a difficult struggle but if you think, okay, things do happen and they're horrible, maybe there's a kind of letting go of like, okay, this happened and I can, there's, uh, there are other things to do in the world and there's, you know, it, it can, you can still make purpose out of it, you know, in an existential way. 
Um, but that is really at the, at the heart of like some of the life's more difficult questions. Um, and I think it's okay to ask. Maybe it does happen for a reason and maybe it doesn't. I love your wisdom. Um, yeah, thank you so much for doing what you do. We need <laughs> more of these uh, guides and teachers and um, thinking minds that's going beyond thinking even in a way. I'd step into the heart's wisdom as well. So that can be, it could be felt today and through your work. So thank you so much again, Britton. And uh, I have this technical question about where to find it. But before that, I'll ask you this question. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they die, before they lose the body? Wow. Uh, three experiences. Um, hmm. Returning to a beginner's mind. Um, you know, starting with going, like, I think I know everything, and then going to, oh, maybe mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> Let's see. I mean, this is well-traveled territory, but um, loving someone and feeling loved in return. And um, laughing until milk comes out your nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever you're drinking. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh-huh. Just yeah. a complete release until your belly hurts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being you again, for being open <laughs> to your beingness. <laughs> uh, wow. Before we say goodbye, where's the best place to find more information about you and your book? I'll have the link, the Amazon link to your yeah, book, but what's sure. the best website to find you or social media? Okay. Well, the official place to find me uh, <laughs> is at notfishyenough.com. Uh, and. You can also try BrittonColber.com, but that's a little bit harder to spell. Uh, so NotFishyEnough.com is a great place. You can find out things about the book. Also connect to my website as a therapist licensed in Washington State. Uh, that also connects to my Instagram, things like that. So that's the best place to go. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile. Thank you so much for your presence here today. Bye for now, Britton. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Britton Kolber and his work, please visit notfishyenough.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.